1: Welcome back to Redefine You, a conversation for well-being, where we have open and honest conversations with friends of mine in the industry to explore their ownership of self and mental well-being journey. As when one shares their vulnerability in such a way, we're encouraged to look within. I'm your host, Haley Hasselhoff. My guest today is a communications professional turned model. She has an amazing story to share about her personal journey, her mental health activism, why she feels sharing her personal story is so important and how she came to this incredible moment in her life where she just made her rookie debut as Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Model. I can't wait to talk to her. So welcome to the show, Tanay White. Hi, honey. Hi, thank you for having me, Haley. (laughs) Oh, I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. How exciting for you as well. Rookie debut. Look at that. I know. I can't believe it still doesn't even seem real. Amazing. Well, before we start, I'm just going to say some of the topics we discussed today, they may be a bit triggering. So if you're in need to speak to a crisis counselor, remember that you can text home to 741-741, or you can head over to projecthealthyminds.com for resources ready to hear from you. Now, the beginning of every show that we do, I always have to ask my guests, if you were to check in with yourself right here, right now, What would Tanae find? (laughs) Check in in which way? (laughs) Check in with your emotional, mental well-being. You know, what would you find today? Where are you at today? How are you feeling? If I'm being very honest, I'm very
0: stressed out because in a few days I'm moving to New York City. So that whole preparation for moving, you know, New York City has been on my mind for the last two and a half years now. And I sacrificed so much. I moved in with my parents. That's where I'm at right now. I'm in Annapolis, Maryland. Like there's all these bells and whistles happening. But hopefully by the end of this weekend, I will be much more zen.
1: (laughs) That's okay. Moving is stressful for everyone. And I don't think people really like amplify it enough. I have moved to so many different countries and different things. I just moved back from the UK and did 20 suitcases on a ship back to L.A. Um, And it was just mayhem. And I was like, when is this going to end? I'm so ready just to get back to life. But you just talked about New York. You talked about Minneapolis. You grew up in the suburbs in Connecticut. And what was that necessarily like for you? Yeah, um,
0: I can't lie. I had a great childhood. It was amazing. Like when you think of your typical 90s, you know, child, like playing with scooters in the neighborhood, cul-de-sac and chasing dogs and running through sprinklers. Like I had that entire experience, (laughs) but I will say there was also sort of a double-edged sword with that experience because I was the token black kid growing up. And so it was a lot of me feeling like I didn't fit in. So it was sort of like living, you know, this like great childhood life, but then also like deep down, sort of not feeling really comfortable with myself, just feeling a bit of like sometimes an outcast and not really sure, you know, trying to figure out basically where I I fit in, in the town. And for some, I guess, some background, I was actually born in Baltimore um, and I was one of plenty of people of color. And so when I moved to Connecticut, when I was five it was a huge culture shock for me simply because mm-hmm. I, the only white people I had ever met were my kindergarten teachers, flat out. And so when I went and it was like, I'm, I'm the only person of color, me and my family are like one of the only black families in town who are of color, mm-hmm. let alone black. Um, it definitely was a, a shock for me transitioning.
1: Do you think that that was something that you sort of understood at that age? Or do you think kind of growing a bit older, you you look back and you go like, no, this is actually how I felt and what I was really dealing with back in those days.
0: I, that's such a great question. I think I understood what was happening. Like, oh, this is a different state. These are different people that this is how it is here. Mm -hmm. But then also I, as an adult, I look back and wish that my parents had helped me for that transition. Like getting me into therapy or helping me to maybe get into programs where I did see people like myself. Because when you just have that stark contrast, you just sort of, it's either you, you dive in, you dive into it, or you just sort of shell up and like, don't know what to do with yourself. And I was definitely the shelling up type of person.
1: Do you feel like there was sort of a moment when you look back that goes like that was a defining moment for you to start to look at things a bit differently when you did transition over there? And and like you said, I think that you, you know, one of the things is probably the hardest thing is talking to your family about it because you probably didn't have know necessarily how to be able to verbalize everything that was going on all the changes and being so young, you know, being five years old and being put into a whole different culture shock. I think your mindset was probably like, whoa, what's I don't even, you know, I guess this this is this is what life is now, and I have to just move forward. Forward from it, and you know you aren't really taught that at such a young age, or know the vocabulary as to how to necessarily indulge that in a conversation. So, right. for you to even be able to look back, I mean, you should applaud yourself and be like, "Wow!" For from myself to be put in that situation and the way that I handled it is a beautiful, beautiful way.
0: Thank you. Um, I, I guess I could applaud myself. I mean, I survived. <laughs> I was a depressed kid. I mean, that's a, <laughs> that's an achievement in, its, in itself. It is though. Um, yes.
1: I, mean, um, I
0: think I, growing up, I definitely did not know how to verbalize it. I thought maybe mm-hmm. I was overreacting or even thinking too hard because I am a person who does think too hard. And it was always very hard for me to sort of express those feelings with my parents because in their head, them being from the Bronx and Baltimore, um, success to them looks like being able to live in a nice middle-class suburban neighborhood mm. and have be safe and not worry about food on the table or, you know, the electricity bill or stuff like that. So for them, I don't think they really understood that outside of tangible things to, to make you feel comfortable and comforted. Um, there was also that emotional aspect. And because I was such an introverted, very energetic but introverted kid, um I really didn't know how to share that with others. I, I didn't know where to turn. I couldn't really be to my friends because again, they didn't really understand that experience. But then also to my family because they're thinking, hey, we're living the good life simply because yeah. you know, you know, we made it. Hey. And then uh, it, it was hard to find someone to confine into, so I literally folded into myself. I would write in my diary, I still have all my diaries as a kid. Oh, and you I can love just. That. Sometimes I'll take a, a, like a peek at it mm. and I will look back and read some of the words I wrote yeah. when I was like 12, 13, and you can just hear how much I was hurting. I didn't know who to share it with. So it was just all on me.
1: Girl, I get you. I get you. Like that brought almost tears in my eyes. Cause I mean, I've, I've done the same. I've looked back at my diaries and been like, Whoa, yes. you know, And and you look back and you're like, thank you for, for holding on. Thank you for holding on, you know, because it gets better. And you aren't taught that at a very young age when you have all those emotions that it gets better. And so you think that that's it. And I even said to my boyfriend the other day, which is like, I read a piece of a message to him where it was like, I thought I was never going to have a boyfriend. I blamed it all on my body and all these things. And then I was like, I like read it and cried, and then I like ran downstairs. I was like, I have to read you this. He's like, This is so relatable. You had no idea. I was like, I was like, I was like, I have to read you this. I was like, I was sitting on a plane going from one place to the next, and you know, I thought I was never going to find love, and now look at me, I'm madly in love. One of the things that just popped out to me, though, that I really loved as well that I do kind of want to tap into is being introverted, but still energetic, because that is something that I think people don't discuss enough. And that's for me the way that I sort of explained my social anxiety as a teenager, because I was always in the room. I was always the vivacious like, hey, girl, but I was actually really introverted inside dealing with my emotions. And so I would be really curious for you to sort of dive in a little bit more of what that experience was like for you.
0: Yeah. Um, it, I, I completely relate to what you're saying. I was a ball of energy. Yeah. I was literally doing backflips off of the staircase so much that my parents signed me up for gymnastics. That's how I got <laughs> into gymnastics and then cheerleading and so on. That, oh that was um, how. There, there was not a day I wasn't doing something physically. Active, I even went as far as to take my mom's Buns of Steels workout videos, like the tapes, the old school <laughs> tapes. And I would like bring a chair into the family room, stick the tape into the TV player, and I would do it for fun. Like I'm working yeah. out for fun. It was very yeah. strange. My parents always thought, like, are you okay? Like, <laughs> don't you want to like go outside and do something else? Like, no, I, I like need this. <laughs> to get my body moving. Right. But I'm on that same breath though. Um, I, I think about times where I didn't want to socialize, I would see all the kids running around outside, and I would want to stay home, I would rather play video games in the basement and like not have to deal with anyone at all today. Because mm-hmm. I definitely looking back had a lot of social anxiety, because mm-hmm. I felt so uncomfortable looking different, that mm-hmm. it made me it, it, it oftentimes made it hard for me to open up or be as extroverted as I wanted to be simply because I wasn't sure always how people were going to take me. Um, and I remember that this one specific moment in uh, second grade, um, I believe we were either playing outside or waiting for the bus stop. And one of the kids who lit a few houses down for me um, called me either Blackie or Darkie or something like that. And I thought to myself, yeah, I am Black, you know, but then looking back, it's like, no, that (laughs) was racism, racism. (laughs) That wasn't okay. Um, And needless to say, that kid was like a mean kid. He was like a few years older and like always wanted to bully the younger kids who were having fun. He was just like a rain on everyone's parade. Um, But there were moments like that where I just definitely felt uncomfortable or even when I was in Girl Scouts, loved it to death when we would have to go and sell cookies, Girl Scout cookies, house to house, door to door and my parents were like, you know, have me do it by myself. You know, lug my little box of Rob cookies girl around. Girl cute. I get it. <laughs> yes. I would feel nervous to ring the doorbell because mm-hmm. I wasn't sure how the person opening the door would react to the fact that there's a little black girl on your stoop. Like, mm-hmm. are you going to accept my cookies or are you going to deny them? And if you deny them, is it because you don't want them or is it because of maybe a racial moment like I I don't know so it was definitely a lot of me always trying to overprocess every situation and what could happen and just sort of pre- bracing myself for what could possibly happen
1: which is horrific to hear you know yeah it is it's really really horrific to hear and it just makes you want to go and give you a huge hug and say that the love <laughs> is in you the love is you You know, but I think at that age, I'm sure that there was a lot going on inside your head that you didn't know how to verbalize and you didn't know how to be able to talk to somebody else. So what did you do then? I mean, did you just allow it to all stay up here and to have those really impactful moments happen to you every time you were just trying to be a kid and just trying to do, you know, things that made you happy, like Girl Scouts, you know, there's Mm -hmm. it that brought you joy. But of course, in the back of your mind, you were always so concerned about maybe what other people's perception of you may have been, you know, what Mm -hmm. were, who did you go to? Were you able to go to anybody?
0: I had one close friend, and this was late middle school, high school, Besnik, and he also was in a similar situation to me because he is Albanian, Um, but at the time he had not come out to his family as being gay, and so he was also sort of uh, burrowing those feelings of him just wanting to feel accepted and be his freest self. He was the only person I ever told about my, like, really sad bouts of depression and how I, you know, didn't find value in my life and how I often considered not being here. Um, But outside of him, the way that I sort of got through those days were just diving into sports, diving into uh, academics and writing and reading. And I was on TikTok the other day, and this woman talked about how kids who read books like read a lot and lot a lot of books as a as a child were actually just using a form of disassociation to avoid mm. the realities of their life and I was like that's me <laughs> <laughs> I would literally read till like 3 a.m like every night um and if I wasn't doing that I was writing in my diary if I wasn't doing that I was playing video games building like my third sim house of the day like <laughs> it was always something that I could just take my mind off of how I was really feeling <laughs>
1: I love that you're a third stim house of the day. You're bringing me (laughs) a blast from the past over here. I'm just going to say, I'm so happy that you at least had one person that you go to and that you connect with and that you felt safe to be able to share your thoughts with. And to have that sort of awareness is very profound. It is, you know, to kind of be able to look back and say, this is what I'm feeling. And I don't feel like I have any value in my life. And I believe that I'm dealing with depression. And even though you spoke to one person, I think as you know, at least being able to indulge it outside of your head and putting it to somebody else's kind of point of view allows you to sort of go, I'm okay and a little bit better than maybe I thought because I'm at least able to verbalize it in some capacity. Right. Do you feel like that was, you know, your sort of saving grace in those moments when you maybe have had suicide ideation where you were able mm-hmm. to, you know, indulge in somebody else and say, you know, this is where I met. And um, how do I, you know, develop from this? I don't know, but I just feel like this is my truth and I want to speak my truth, even though I may not know why this is why this is developing the way that it is.
0: Yeah. I, I, I can admit that I'm a very stubborn person. I'm a Taurus to a T. <laughs> and so when I have, you know, my mind set on something it is very hard to convince me otherwise. So if mm-hmm. my mind is set on the fact that I am worthless, you can't tell me, oh, well, you just got a A in advanced English. And, you know, you just broke a school record, you know, in track and field. And you did this because at, at the end of the day, that doesn't matter to me. The, yeah. What matters is the fact that I don't feel good still. Um, and so my best friend at the time, Besnick was also just as stubborn and was like, no bitch, <laughs> <laughs> you are, you know, amazing. Like, I love yeah. you. Like, let's go for a walk. He literally lived like two neighborhoods down from me. He will walk all the way to my house, have me take a walk. Cause this is, you know, before we could have cars and stuff, we couldn't yeah, drive yeah, yeah. and we would just take a night stroll around the neighborhood stars crickets all this stuff it'd be beautiful and it was definitely a sigh of relief I I definitely want to say that he is a significant part of the reason I am still here today because Mm. had I not been able to have at least some type of outlet um I I I really want to say that the the chances of me having survived high school would have been very slim Mm.
1: um I I know that quite well and I think, you know, one of the biggest things that we're not taught or we don't tell the younger generation that it's okay to feel and that it's okay to not be okay all of the time. And I think sometimes what can happen is we get so bottled up with our emotions and not know how to verbalize them or to express them in a specific way. Right. Yeah. And I think. In your case, it's the same, or what I'm hearing. Right, I'm not going to speak for yourself, but I'm saying what I'm hearing is that it seems like you had a lot of emotions going on inside you, and thankfully you had that one person that you could speak to. But if we had more people out there speaking about their their struggles and not having it be a fearful place to speak about it, maybe it would make it a more accepting space for so many. Because you are so powerful in speaking so vulnerably about your story if you could speak to yourself as you know the younger person that you were in that specific situation what would you say to her and what would you want to be able to say um what would have helped support her through those years
0: yeah i would have told myself all the fieriness that you write in those diaries and in your journals say them out loud You're not going to get suspended from school. You're not going to get grounded. People need to hear how you truly feel. We don't want to see Mm -hmm. the mask. We want to see the real you. And I really also wish I could have spoken to a good friend of mine, Steve, who um, committed suicide uh, when we were in our sophomore year of high school. And I did not know that he was suffering. And obviously, no one knew I was suffering. And so I really wish that if a If I had and I don't I don't take blame for what happened, of course, but Mm -hmm. I always wonder if I had been more vocal about how I was truly feeling that maybe that could have helped his journey as well or maybe switch the the trajectory of his life.
1: I think it's really hard to to. To see that you were silently suffering while then you kind of identify with somebody else who was silently suffering as well and didn't have the answers into how to verbalize what you were feeling at that point in your life. Do you feel like that was sort of a trigger or maybe a flare up for you when he did pass?
0: It wasn't a trigger. Um, I honestly didn't know how to handle it because for the longest I always thought it was just me. Like it's me, something's wrong with me. I didn't think that those levels of sadness were something that others could, I guess, get to. Um, And then also considering the fact that all my friends around me were happy and like funny, like he was the most hilarious kid ever. I I just had no idea that a person who can be so funny can also be so sad or hurting so much. And now Mm. as an adult, I immediately pick up on funny people or people who are almost a little too expressive of their personality. I immediately, like, I'm, I'm such a person who, um, I, I like to sit back and watch people. I'm an observer, right? And so when I'm, you know, meeting you for the first time and like, I see you like sort of doing a lot, I immediately think something is going on, like something is wrong. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be anything big, but like they are they may be overcompensating for something. Um, and so I think a takeaway from him that I had was that, like just sort of observe people a little more and not always take what you're seeing Um, at face value because there's a lot more layers behind it. And then even if we're like going to like branch out into like a different topic, I feel like that same theme applies to social media today because we share our highlight reel. We always think everyone's good. Oh, she just got married or engaged. Like she's great. Or, oh, they just got a puppy. They're great. But like a picture does not summarize the book Mm -hmm. and it's, I live it, you know, being a model, you sort of have to live this life where it's like, everything's great. I'm athletic. I am, you know, happy. But then, you you know, you turn off the ring light, you close the camera and you're crying yourself to sleep because you're really sad because either your boyfriend broke up with you or like you're still going through depression from something else. It's I always try to, you know, I I try a lot to be better at just sort of thinking about different aspects of a person's life and not necessarily what they're presenting to you. And I feel like a lot of people don't do that enough. And with like all the hate we see on social media, you, you, it's like people just want to spew hate for no reason. But it's like how it gives people some grace simply because you truly do not know what they are going through. They're only showing mm-hmm. you what you, they want you to see. But mm-hmm. what about the other parts of their life that you haven't even, you know, learned about yet?
1: It's what what I, you know, one of the biggest things that I keep thinking of is like, you know, through pain and suffering comes beauty and comes connection. And I think through a lot of what you've have experienced in your childhood that brought you to your high school years, that brought you to where you are now, it seems a lot of it has connected a self-awareness to your own self and an empathy towards others. And one of the most beautiful things I think I acknowledge about my own self is one of the things, this, a very similar thing. I've been through a lot of my life and I wouldn't change it because I feel like it has brought me to be much more empathetic and self-aware, but also aware of others and their surroundings. And I think that's one of the biggest beauties of life is that we should be aware of our surroundings and what other people may be dealing with because a passing of somebody having a hard day, you can't judge them on that because you don't know what's going on behind the scenes if they're having a little bit of an attitude towards you. And so if you start to change your mentality about instead of getting upset by somebody's infliction of a word that they may have presented at you, maybe take a step back and hit it with kindness because you don't know what just happened. A text message that may have just come in, a whole shift that just happened within their lives. So it's a beautiful thing that you've taken so much from what you've experienced and have experienced through your surroundings and the people that you've loved and lost to be able to be where you are now and say that this is how I want to rewrite my story and how I look at life and how I look at the people around me to help encourage them to feel confident in in who they are. Um, So it's, I mean, it's gorgeous. And I just think it's beautiful. I, I know that there was an experience that kind of brought you to your guidance counselor and I wanted to know if yep. you'd be comfortable with sort of talking about that
0: yes um I have two parts of this story actually okay. and one part I actually have not shared publicly yet so this will be the first time um so it was about around my junior year of high school um uh winter time and it was the darkest moment in my life to this day darkest moment Uh, those months between let's say after Thanksgiving to like let's say early March darkest days of my life um and the thoughts of taking my own life had become so persistent that one day I couldn't even focus in class I had told myself I'm gonna you know take my life tonight and I did not want to do it there was like this little glimmer of hope in in the pit of my stomach saying like no you're meant for so much more this can't be it but mm-hmm. all the other thoughts were saying like it's over you know like how am i gonna do it let me think what's in the house like it was just bad mm-hmm. um and so i remember being in my advanced history class bursting out in tears randomly the teacher asked if i wanted to go to the guidance counselor i said yes i went to the counselor and i told her my plans Um, and she asked me if I was okay to continue with school. And I said, yes. Um, and she sort of let me cool down. And then she was like, you know, I had to tell your parents about this. Right. And I was like, yes. Um, and so when I went home that night, my parents sat me down and they were very concerned. They asked if I was depressed. I admitted to it. Um, they told me, you know, okay, well, like we want, you know, you know, we want you to get better. And like, we can tell just by the way you behave around the house that like, you're, you're very sad, you know, all of this stuff. We love you. Mm -hmm. We care for you. All of that. What you would unfortunately expect from a black family and the black community is we don't really talk about mental health the way we should. And so after that conversation I had with my parents, never heard about it again. Mm. never got therapy, (laughs) nothing. Um, and I like to say that I was touched by an angel because about a year after that is when I finally was able to not rid myself, but have those thoughts, those terrible thoughts subside. Mm. Um, and I know it sounds so cliche, but it just, one day I woke up, I felt like every day I woke up, I felt so heavy. I felt like this cloud in my head in my mm. life and my heart. It could be a sunny, sunny day, but it felt cloudy to me. I woke yeah. up. It felt great. The next day I woke up, I felt great again. And I remember writing my diary. I feel happy today and I don't know why I'm going to see how long this lasts. And it kept going for about a month where I just felt so light, so good. And I remember writing my diary like this. There's no way to, there's no other way to explain this. This must've been an act of god he must have been hearing my cries i'm so sorry god forever you know cursing you <laughs> all of this stuff and I, from then on i made a i made a vow to myself to try and help others um, so that they would never feel that sadness that i had been feeling as a young adult um, or young teenager um, fast forward though um, skipping all the other details um, this past covid this pandemic has obviously been challenging for a lot of us And me as a 29 year old, this is what 12, 13 years after the moment I just described to you, um, I was finally able to tell my parents how I truly felt, how I felt Mm -hmm. like they had let me down. They didn't get me the help I needed and all of this stuff. And it it was an explosive conversation, Mm -hmm. Um, but it did happen. And they received it very well, more than I, ha- I had always had this big fear of telling them how I really mm. felt like you did wrong, you know, but I yeah. did. And the first thing my mom said was, I didn't know you were suicidal. Mm. And I was like, what do you mean? I told my guy's she said she was going to tell you. And she was like, she said, told us you were depressed, but she never mentioned anything of suicide. And so then, of course, that puts me in a position where I'm thinking I've had this resentment towards my parents for all of these years, over a decade. I'm going to
1: call that school right now. (laughs) Exactly. Excuse (laughs) me? Where is she? I'm finding her. Is she
0: crazy? Girl, I could go on for days. (laughs) (laughs) But um, in that moment, I really had to think about how I've been feeling all this time. And then almost going back to what we were just talking about. Had I been more vocal, maybe we would have been able to address that detail b- before. Like, why well, did why I did it have to wait?
1: I would just say this, though. It happened the way that it happened. Don't ever put yourself down for the way that you went about things, because at the end of the day, it's brought you to where you are now. And yes. even though it's taken this much time to get you to that conversation with your parents, at least you got to the conversation with your parents. You can pat yourself on the back, girl. You've been through a lot. And I think so often we want to look back and say, "Coulda, woulda, shoulda," right? Right. But we've got to cut that out because it is what it is, and we have to live in that acceptance of what our past is, and we have to live in the acceptance of what our inner child is telling us to, to bring us into the present. But at least your inner child's giving you this sense of confidence now to say, "This is what I dealt with. This is how I've been feeling," and now I want to use this pain to good, and I want to have a more open rapport with you on everything moving forward. The right. diary page that you have that says that you just got out of the cloud, like the first thing that went to my mind was like, you need to rip that out and you need to hang that up somewhere because (laughs) that is an, an honor of what you've been through. And to look back at that little girl's journey and say, I'm going to hug you every single day and remind you that it does get better because we still go through challenging moments, right? We all do. And especially I think that if you've gone through challenging moments in your childhood or gone through challenging moments in your teenage years, it, it can kind of surprise you as an adult because sometimes you think that you've sort of developed and you've grown this like badge of honor and you know where you are and then all of a sudden the sadness comes back and you're like wait I thought that I've dealt with all of this, but I right. even know for myself like as I've gotten older I'm 28 now so close to you and. Um, I've been hit with inner child stuff. I'm like, I thought I dealt with you before. Where'd you come from? You know? Um, But then that's okay too. You just now have to figure out in your period of life right now, what does that look like for you? And how do you use your toolbox of all the things that have worked before? So going into that, do you feel like, you know, you are sort of dealing with inner child things as you get older. Do you feel like there are pieces of you that you're still working through, especially having that conversation with your family? I'm sure that that brought up different emotions that you've had to sort of identify and work through in a, in a positive way as well, to be honest.
0: Yeah, I, I, I do actually, um, I'm, I'm dating and I identify when I close up in, um, I guess, harbor my own feelings instead Mm. of expressing them. And what I love about the person who I'm dating is the fact that he has a similar background to me. And Mm. so, and he's also an extreme empath. So I'm usually the one who is empathetic and I point out other people's faults or triggers, but now it is a point where he'll be like, Hey, like, no, 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 no. Let's talk about this. Wait a minute. I can tell that you're actually not, you're saying you're okay. You understand, mm-hmm. but I can tell you're not.
1: <laughs> can we,
0: can you please not close up and just talk to me? And I'm like, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> so I definitely feel like uh, me closing, not even closing up, but just sort of trying to, to save face and like, keep that cute pretty face like that's something i'm still working through and then also just asking for help i'm very prideful and i don't like to ask others for help like even today like i like i had to put my car in the shop and my mom was like well you know we can you know pick you up like i can drive you to the shop and pick you up you don't have to worry about doing it another day and it, it sounds so simple to just be like hey would you be able to but it, for me it's so hard it's like grinding my teeth because i I I just rather do things myself. Mm-hmm. I rather not burden you with anything that's tangible as well as my emotions. Like I just rather help you but don't ask to help me because it's going to make me uncomfortable. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, and and what do you do in those instances now though? Like do you feel like you found a toolbox that really works for you? I know I know obviously you said touched by an angel and I do want to go back to that. Is that something that you yeah. you're very much um do you feel like your religious relationship is something that really is a driving force within your toolbox?
0: 100 um, percent I, I wouldn't say I'm religious but I definitely am spiritual mm-hmm. um, and I attend elevation church churches um, online s- services every Sunday um, and I watch them over and over and over and mm-hmm. over and it's crazy how like sometimes when I'm when, I, when I'm at my lowest yeah. I will go back and watch like an old Old, old, old sermon. Yeah. And somehow, just I, I will literally just scroll yeah. Russian roulette and pick one. <laughs> and somehow, that one video or podcast, because they're everywhere, um, will be speaking to me. It's like, how did you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, I was feeling like this. And so, I always make it a, a point in myself to. Anytime I am starting to feel that downfall, um, I immediately go for some words of wisdom, upliftment, and I feel that even if you are not a spiritual person per se, just whether you're speaking to a friend or, you know, a family member, just some way to release and also to hear um, positivity, like sort of, it's like nourishment for your mind. Just hearing good stuff really helps to I guess it helps with the way you're feeling as well and it may not like I feel like a lot of times people aren't religious because the bible it's just so hard, you know, back in the day to apply to now. Like okay, like um you know, David and Goliath. Well, we don't have giants running around so we to do <laughs> like I don't understand but I feel like um with elevation at least they really help to translate that and interpret it into a way that's more modern. Mm. Um, and so anyways, going back to what I was talking about, like anyone who is hurting, I really feel like if they really just take the leap and open up and confess to their friends or to a parent or to a sibling how they're feeling, the likelihood of you ever hearing a negative reaction back is the this thing that's going to happen. That's the furthest thing from reality. Usually what happens is the first thing they say is what can I do to help? Or, or, and what I think is beautiful is I've been feeling the same way too. And then you have this bond and then next thing, you know, you're crying and hugging each other, tears of happiness, because you feel this weight lift off of your shoulders. So, um, I feel like my, my form of therapy day-to-day is just releasing and speaking, mm. um, and sharing. Um, but I think also things like, you know, finding people or projects who can, you know, share wisdom with you really does help.
1: I think finding your purpose towards your pain definitely allows you to sit more freely in your confusion towards it. And I think that's I love that. exactly what has happened for you as you were touched by an angel, you felt like you were validated in that moment to be able to take ownership for the pain that you were surfacing and then being able to put something beautiful towards it. Right. And so I think no matter what you are feeling in this point in time, if you start to like focus on your purpose towards something, you start to validate who you are, and then you take that ownership back again. And that's all it is, right? It's finding the ownership within your own self and your own journey and blocking out all of your surroundings that are around you, telling you to go otherwise because of society standards, right? So you're like, What's who am I? What means something to me? How can I validate myself, whether I'm feeling good or feeling bad? Um, you know, you ventured off into college after all you did, all this goodness, and then you started to become the A student. You were an athlete. I mean, how did that sort of induce, you know, your, your college years? I can only imagine I didn't go to college, so I didn't have a college experience, (laughs) but I have heard it's very stressful. So, (laughs) (laughs) so if you
0: trust (laughs) me, you didn't miss out on too much.
1: (laughs) So, I mean, did, did you, did you put a lot of pressure on yourself to be a straight A student and an athlete? And I just want to know from your point of view as well, because we keep speaking off of how your experience can sort of indulge into maybe what needs to be fixed within the community to help people feel like they're more comfortable at knowing that not alone, being an athlete and being somebody who um, probably just wanted to always win the game. Do you feel like you had a community around you that was supporting you through that journey? Or do you feel like the pressure was always on to be perfect?
0: Yeah, so I did um, track and field. I was a long jumper my freshman year of college. And then I quit halfway through my sophomore year because of terrible injuries that I just could not heal from. Um, But when I tell you that when you have a team, whether it be high school or college or even like a club team teams really feel like family. Like when we were a division two school, I went to Southern Connecticut state university before I transferred to the university of Maryland. And our track and field program was one of the top in the, in the region. And so we were working out all the time. We were together all the time. We would get breakfast and lunch and dinner all together. There was nothing that we didn't really do together. So I really felt at home. I felt accepted. Everyone had their own quirk, their own unique personality. And it was a beautiful, it was like a hodgepodge of just amazing people. Um, and I feel like from an athlete's perspective in college, there's no option for you to fail or not do good. Um, the program, the athletic program sets you up for success. So Mm -hmm. you have all your classes at 8am to prepare for your afternoon workout. And then at in the evening time, you have um, required study hall. So like there's no, oh, I forgot or, oh, I didn't have time. Like, no, you have designated time to study and, you know, do everything that you need to do. And I really loved that experience simply because being an athlete in college, you really, you really have this structured Type of feel, so no matter what, you have someone to go to, whether it be your coaches, your fellow teammate, and then also the school's programs as well. And I think me naturally being a person who always wanted to excel, I I thrived in that type of environment. I I loved it so much, Um, and it it definitely was a hard transition when I definitely when I had to finally retire. Um, I had really bad knee problems, which is something that's not good when you're jumping. um but I would say for anyone who is in sports whether it be from a collegiate level or even a high school level or a local level um do it even as an adult I always think about how I want to join a boxing club because that's something I really love doing at the University of Maryland um and I really feel like especially if you're a person who is I guess more of a loner like myself or maybe a little more introverted throwing yourself into a sport in a club Um, really helps you to make new friends fast. So there's always options. And like, like we were talking about before, you're never alone. Like if you, if it's hard for you to make friends, you haven't, there's a way for you to do it. If it's hard for you to open up, there's a way for you to do it. There's just, there's always a way.
1: Do you feel like you, or maybe the the peers around you felt like their worth was sort of defined by your performance though?
0: I, I felt that way from a academic perspective, Mm. just because it was sort of drilled into me by my parents growing up, like straight A's, don't bring home anything lower than a B. Um, You know, college is the goal. So make sure you do well. But when it came to sports, sport was sort of like a combination of my athleticism and my passion together. And so I never really felt pressure to I guess be perfect, but the, the the drive was there, the goal was there. If I wanted a scholarship, then obviously I have to do well. So I always wanted to, you know, be healthy and be my fittest. But I think the more of that pressure definitely came from the academic standpoint. And it's really hard when let's say you're not good at science and you study so hard for a biology exam and you fail and you don't know how when you've studied for hours and hours and hours, those moments definitely are a, uh, a blow to the ego and to the pride and definitely contributed to some of my sadness. But I think that from an athletic perspective, there's so much joy that's wrapped around it. It's, it's, it's sort of almost hard to to feel any bad pressure unless it's not a sport that you want to be in.
1: (laughs) Movement, I think is a really big tool and just being able to connect back to your being and is a great thing to keep at anybody's toolbox. So I think it sounds like it kind of was like, it leveled you out in some ways because you were like, if I don't get straight A's, and then you're like, well, I, I gotta go work out now. So you just kind of like worked it off. You know, you were like, I've got it. Um, so it was a it was kind of a probably a blessing in disguise. And I can only imagine what then happened after your knee injuries and so forth. Um, but I do want to tap into really quickly because I am curious. You then went off to kind of use your degree and became a social media specialist, which obviously led into your dreams of becoming a model. Um, but yes. I really want to know getting into an industry like being a social media specialist you know, what did you find? Like, what was was one of the biggest findings you found that kind of related back into your own sense of self or sense of self-worth? You know, how did it negatively affect you or how did it positively affect you? I'd be curious because as somebody who, you know, We all use social media in some form, but I just mean like to somebody to know that that is you are learning the ins and the outs of just how it all works, but also playing Mm -hmm. into, I think, a lot of the craziness that can come with uh, social media. It's curious for me.
0: Um, I, I didn't even know the career existed when I started up like diving into Mm. it. And it's funny because in high school, my parents found out I had a Facebook and they didn't like that because at the time it was like, Oh no, that's where creeps try and, you know, prey on children. Um, so I was grounded for like two months. So fast forward, like I'm doing it as a full-time career. It's just hilarious to me. Um, but I, I think that social media, I didn't expect it to be the way it is today. When I was starting uh, uh, into it, my space was sort of just subsiding. Facebook was taking over and Twitter was just coming about. Um, And so we didn't, Instagram was just sort of like this, this artsy type of app. Like some people had it, some people didn't. Um, it, It, at the times are so much different than the, the way they are now. But I think, from a strategic standpoint, and from my background at being my corporate co- career for several years, um, I see how much social media plays into the day to day life of just regular human beings. Um, when we think of what we want to share from a, from a corporate perspective, um, we want to share our business goals, our highlights, our achievements, what our employees are doing, why you want to work with us but from a personal perspective is what are the cool things I'm doing? I went to the movies today or I went to the beach today and this photo I took is Instagrammable. So I want to share it. If it's not Instagrammable, I'm not going to share it. So it's more, I feel like a a social media from a personal perspective is more contrived. And that sort of goes back to what we were talking about of people just showing a highlight reel because it's not real. Um, But I, I think, knowing both the both aspects of social media and its power, I've learned to have a love-hate relationship with it because from a business perspective, I love it. Like I worked for the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. I was managing their social media pages. I saw how the information we shared could help business owners get large contracts and succeed. But from a personal perspective, um, I see how, you know, Uh, face tuning yourself to death and (laughs) putting filters on stuff and only showing bits and pieces of the reality of what you went Mm -hmm. through that day can negatively affect yourself, but then also give other people the wrong impression and idea of your life. So I definitely have a love-hate relationship (laughs) with social media, Um, but it's something that I I think is an art form of communication that I enjoy so much. So much, in fact, that I started my own social media marketing agency where I help small businesses who are looking for more strategic ways to you know, communicate their services. And so it's been really fulfilling for me to do that and sort of see businesses be able to meet their business goals, goals through art and communication combined.
1: Yeah, I think this past year, definitely, of course, opened up so many more doors for people to lend their voices and to connect to communities worldwide because we all were dealing with a collective anxiety. So it allowed for us to sort of open up our hearts a bit more to, um, you know, connecting to one another, even if they're that niche or that, you know, community necessarily didn't connect before. We've all now connected in a bigger and beautiful way. I, I want to tap in, obviously, to your debut, your Sports Illustrated Rookie, which I'm so excited about. (laughs) I know a couple of the other sports girls, and you guys are just wonderful, wonderful people. And I know a lot of the audition process can sometimes be about learning about the girl, not just about the beauty. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things that sports has sort of done over the past course of their years is really being able to amplify the beauty that inspiring other girls through their own stories is so impactful. What was your audition process necessarily like when you were in the room? Because I know that you had to reapply apply so um it was a pretty you know lengthy audition process and I'm so proud of you for sticking in it because I know it can be discouraging at times but (laughs) you've done it and you're here and you should be so proud of yourself so tell me tell me what what happened in your last audition that you think just sort of clicked um
0: you know, I don't know. I really can't say that I know. The first time around, I was literally working an office job. Right, um, I saw a flyer for Sports Illustrated from search and just a couple weeks before. I was telling a friend of mine a deep dark secret. Hey, I always wanted to be a sports illustrated model, but I have no idea how. And mm. then weeks come by, you see the flyer, and I'm like, this has got to be a call from God. Like, yeah. yes. <laughs> and so I flew down to Miami. I. Mind you, I had already submitted an audition tape via video um, and they accepted my tape and they were getting thousands and thousands and thousands and they accepted me. And I was like, "Okay, awesome. I made it through the first part. I fly down and it's at the W Hotel and all you see is dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of stunning women waiting to interview with the editorial team and the supermodels who were there. Somehow out of the 10,000 applications that they received online and in-person, I made it to the top 16. And when I did that, with my little to no modeling experience, I actually had the opportunity to be interviewed by Kate Upton. And I was just mm. like freaking out, like, <laughs> day made. If I don't make it any further than this, like, I will have, you know, been status- so satisfied with myself. Um, and unfortunately, I didn't make it to the top six, which grants you a spot in the magazine. Um, And it was definitely a hard blow. I was so sad because I knew in my heart of hearts that I was going to make it. I told all my friends and family, like, I'm in the magazine this year. And I Mm -hmm. didn't. And it was like, oh, my ego is bruised. Um, But I decided ultimately that I wanted to give it one last shot. Because if I made it that far with no experience, Mm -hmm. what could happen if, you know, over this next year, I put myself into modeling. I start doing photo shoots sort of gear myself up for the next opportunity and what if I can make it all the way and I did (laughs) I made it all the way Um, we shot for my um, swim search shoot in Turks and Caicos which was gorgeous like I didn't even know water was that blue could be that blue and then this last year um, as the winner of the search I shot in Sacramento due to COVID you know we couldn't go abroad uh, for my rookie shoot and it's I don't want to give away the theme of the shoot, but let's just say it's it's going to be so different than what you would picture for Sports Illustrated.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. And I think it's an amazing thing. And you should be so proud of yourself. And it just showcases that if you believe in yourself enough, things will happen. And sometimes the door needs to shut to be able to guide you into where the right door is going to open at the right time. Um, yes. I do want to talk a little bit about this past year. Like you said, like somebody of my own self, I mean, I had the the same situation, you know, shooting different things during COVID and trying to rework our lives and our careers around it. Um, But did you experience anxiety this past year? What was sort of your relationship with yourself and just Also, your relationship really with your body doing a shoot like this during a time where I think a lot of us kind of skyrocketed in our ideas of our self image and our body image. And um, this must have been a beautiful shoot for you to be able to do during this time to kind of help validate who you are and what means something to you. And um, just kind of curiosity of of what this last year sort of felt like for you.
0: Yeah. uh, To put it simply, 2020 felt like a kick in the gut. Because this was the year that was supposed to, or that was the year that was supposed to kick off my new career. Mm -hmm. Uh, And at the end of 2019, I had quit my corporate job officially. I saved up all this money, getting ready to gear, you know, gear up, and you know, just throw myself into modeling and whatever Mm -hmm. was meant to happen for me. And then, what? Five months later, COVID hits, and everything comes to a screeching halt. So, needless to say, I was very bitter at Mm. the situation. Um, and anxiety for me was certainly at, at an all time high because I didn't know what the future looked like because financially my funds were depleting. I wasn't making more money because the modeling industry was at a standstill and I'm living at my parents' house. My parents and my little brother are driving me crazy like, I, I feel like we were all going a little stir crazy, just being cooped in the house and not, not knowing what to do next. Um, but I and then on top of that, I went through a breakup. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it, it was it was a lot. 2020 was a lot for me. But I think that the photo shoot, I must admit, came the rookie shoot came at such a a bad time. It was literally just weeks after my breakup. Um, but also the perfect time too, because it helped me to push myself out of the bed, (laughs) stop feeling sorry for yourself, put a smile on and let's do this thing that you have been dreaming of for years. Let's, this is the moment there's, there's no, Oh, I'm, there's no feeling sad for yourself. This is the moment. This is what you earned. Don't let any man (laughs) or any pandemic get in the way of that. Embrace every moment. So I really try my hardest to. I documented a lot behind the scenes of like, oh, today's the day. Here I am in hair and makeup. I just wanted to soak in as much as I could, um, and I think that the the art. I think you'll be able to see in my eyes how how I was feeling. But I think the art the art that was created with the photographer also can show the beauty of life. And I really feel like SI I made a uh, made it a mission of theirs to show life in all forms through shooting from coast to coast. So you had girls shooting on the East coast, the West coast and Florida, Jersey. I think what they're doing this year is very beautiful and really speaks to what we are going through with 2020 as a whole. But I would say, summarizing all of that up, that 2020 was the biggest disaster in my life, but also much needed because I left that year um, coming out very strong and also more outspoken, um, especially with the, the events that took place in June. Um, that was tremendous for me because for me as a Black woman, I started to see people who I thought were my allies as opposite. Um, and if I'm being very honest, I even had to end partnership, business partnerships because of situations like that. Um, but that just sort of reinforced me to speak louder for myself mm-hmm. and for others, and um, especially those who are either downtrodden or those who are, um, I guess, usually just not in in a place where they can speak for themselves. Um, So, as much as twenty twenty hurt, um, there there were highlights for sure, um, and I think it was a, a, a year that for all of us we had to learn, um, and so. As much as I would like to redo 2020, I also wouldn't take it back simply because the experiences that I did have to go through to get where I am right now, um, I wouldn't take that back. I love where I'm at right now as a person.
1: Well, I love where you're at right now as a person. And I think that <laughs> it's uh, it's awesome that you are so outspoken and that you are using your voice for a purpose and trying to make a change by telling your story. And I think it's really important to amplify that, you know, it is a very fearful thing to come out and speak about your mental health, especially at the beginning of your modeling career. So for myself being in this industry, 10 plus years to hear your story and knowing that you've taken that plunge at the beginning of your career to say, this is who I am. This is what I've struggled with. And this is what I want to project with the brands that I work with. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful space to be, and you should be ever so proud proud of yourself and I know that behind the scenes it can be troubling and challenging you know telling your story especially publicly I've been there trust um you know but it keep keep keeping because this is what makes you real authentic and it makes your purpose scream louder than than where you you thought you could be you know and I think that you're in a beautiful space
0: another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check
1: We're going to close this episode off by just tapping into a couple things that make you you. So as we spoke about before, we talked a lot about building your personalized toolbox. And I kind of just want to know, you know, what in your emotional journey lately have you used during a challenging moment or a flare up? Like, What was the last thing that you did if you had a challenging moment?
0: I run. (laughs) (laughs) Exercise is still so much a part of my life. Um, anytime I'm feeling down or even stressed out, like I was today, Mm. I immediately dedicate myself. If it's not that evening, then the next day to running, run at least a mile, do a little, uh, core workout if I want to, but at least run and God forbid, I don't want to run. Then I'll take a walk. But I feel like releasing those endorphins is so important when you want to get out of the funk.
1: Definitely. And then if you could sum up your mental well-being journey in one word without any shame, what would that be? (laughs) Um
0: that's such a good question. Oh, okay. Um a good word would be unexpected. Am I allowed to use that
1: word? <laughs> of course. That's a great word, unexpected, because I think that allows for more opportunities. You know what I mean? <laughs> it just goes that it's okay that it's coming in, and that's totally perfectly fine. Um <laughs> Lastly, I'm just going to say, what are the three biggest lessons you've learned in your life? Now, those could be words, feelings, sayings, seriously, whatever authentically comes to your mind Mm -hmm. and no right or wrong answer.
0: Um, Three things. First would be just breathe. Um, Second would be talk nicely to yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, And third would be it gets better.
1: I love it. I love it. I love it. I thank you so much for coming on, sharing your vulnerability, your heart, your soul, and all of the be it, the above. I know that it can be challenging, but I know that you know that when you allow yourself to speak vulnerably in this type of space, it allows others to know that they're never alone. So we're very thankful that you've come on to share your story and your truth today. And if anyone would like to connect with Tanae White, you can find her on our socials at Tanae Dubs. That's cute, love that. Um, <laughs> And thank you, honey. So if you're looking to continue the conversation around living an unapologetically authentic lifestyle, then this podcast is just for you. Our goal is to build a community in which you feel empowered to celebrate you by hearing inspiring stories of ownership to self. To always remember to lead with the three M's, that's mindfulness, movement, and mental engagement. You've got this, and we're here to support you along the way. So be sure to subscribe and download so you don't miss an episode. And it's okay to not be okay in your journey to become grounded in the power of you
0: this has been a stage 29 podcast production the podcast is executive produced by Haley hasselhoff patty Ciano, lafern cusack and stephanie Kaysen. our audio editors are jackson ruff and jonathan Dematti. callie Kelts is the social media producer and a special thanks to the rest of our podcast crew rwani herenagay William Cusack, Lisa Clark, Katie Brown, and Morgan Kaler.
1: This podcast has been produced by Stage 29 Productions for entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast does not constitute medical or professional advice, do not reflect the opinions of this company, any of its parent companies, affiliates, subsidiaries, promotional sponsors, or advertising agencies. The views expressed by the host and the guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or an entity they represent. For more information, please go to stage29.tv.